In Germany it was a failure because um, you probably know that in the early 70s there were all these publications about psychosurgery yeah. which led to an article in the Spiegel yeah. um, and that article influenced the whole field um, in Germany to collapse yeah. Yeah? Be yeah. because everybody said well this is something we should not do this is unethical yeah. more or less um, and so at least my personal um, intention was I, I believe in that yeah. but I learned from, from these events that the only chance we have is really to have a strong scientific foundation for all of this. Welcome to Stimulating Brains. Welcome back to Stimulating Brains. I'm really excited that I was able to talk to Günther Deutschel in this episode. Günther needs no introduction and has been extremely important for transforming the brain stimulation into evidence-based medicine with a series of very large-scale trials that provided class 1 evidence for the efficacy of deep brain stimulation for movement disorders. We talk about his life in this field the beginnings and how deep brain stimulation became established and we then of course also talk a bit about the future. So thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this episode with Günther Deutschel. So um, Professor Deutschel, first of all thank you so much for taking part in this and um, I would like to open the episode with a mini surprise, um, which also leads to the first question. Um, because upon my research to prepare, I noticed that we were in fact born in the same small city in southern Germany, in La Schwarzwald, and uh, we might even have been to the same school. <laughs> and that leads me to, you know, the beginnings of your professional life. La Schwarzwald is exciting to me, but, and I would like to talk about it, but it's not exciting for the rest of the world. And um, you went on after that to study mathematics, geography, philosophy, and history in Munich for five years before switching to medicine. Why did you switch to medicine? Well, <clears throat> um, you know, in, in the beginning, it, it, was, it was the time of uh, the late 60s, um, my my intention was to, to become a teacher. Um, and I wanted to be broad and I wanted to, to do more than my main um, interest, which was mathematics. Um, so I, I, I studied very different uh, things and did very different, uh, um, uh, took very different approaches. And, um, but then when I, when I went to, to school and uh, went uh, to, to work as a teacher, um, I recognized that, um, that this is not what I can do the, my whole life. Um, and I went back to, to what I wanted initially to do, which, which was medicine. Um, and so, so I, turned, um, I turned this pretty, pretty tough corner. Yeah. Did, 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 did still studying something like mathematics 
help you later on? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean that that has uh, that has been a, a companion through all my scientific career, and still nowadays I I have people working with me who are mathematicians, um, and I'm I'm still interested in that field, and I I admire this this type of science because because it's just so pure. I can totally understand that. Yeah, and then. Then you started your medical training in Munich, uh, where, as I've been told, Professor Struppler was one of the few remaining surgical neurologists, right? right. So he was a neurologist, but did his own Yes, he, he was never trained as a neurosurgeon, but he, he learned um, functional neurosurgery from neurosurgeons uh, through all his life. He worked with Narabayashi and, and uh, with many different people all around the world. And, um, and in these days, um, I, I went to him because he was an excellent neurologist and I wanted to learn from him, um, but was very skeptical with uh, functional neurosurgery okay. because, you know, in, in these days, it, it was always the, the idea that touching the brain is something you shouldn't do and that mm -hmm. could influence your personality and things like this. So, so this has never been something which, which I thought I would do. And then all of a sudden I saw these tremor patients uh, getting more or less cured um, by this intervention, which totally convinced me. And uh, that was the start of my personal, um, uh, of my personal career with, uh, with functional neurosurgery. So, so it never itched your fingers to do surgery yourself? No, 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 no. no. I, I, I mean, I, I, even in these days, it was a little bit old-fashioned that a neurologist does the work that he has never learned, sure. um, and he does it every four weeks. I mean, that was that was nothing which which I considered to be okay. the right way. I think a bit later you moved with Professor Lücking to Freiburg, and as I've uh, we've previously discussed in this podcast with Christian Moll, Freiburg had been a mecca for brain stimulation, maybe even worldwide. Um, a bit before that time with Traugott Richard, Richard Mundinger, Rolf Hassler, later Wilhelm uh, Umbach. So that leads me to, to, to the next question. So who were the mentors during that time and also later on when you moved maybe to Freiburg and started your um, clinical and research career, who really stuck out and maybe changed how you approached the brain um, or also what were the key events that, that really mattered? Well, uh, that starts a little bit earlier because I, I, during my studies I worked in experimental neurophysiology and did CAT experiments with a person that is called Michael Illert. Um, he is the one who worked with Lundberg and who did all this spinal neurophysiology where I learned a lot. Um, and that, that made my first entry into movement disorders. Um, and then I, when I came to, um, to Freiburg, it was not only my mentor in these days uh, looking, uh, it was also Richard Jung, who still was alive and still was very active in these days. And you may probably know that he wrote one of the most influential works on tremor um, in '39. He published it, that was his habilitation. Um, still, still a very interesting study. Um, and um, so, so that, that was my start um, in the field of movement disorders. And then there was another person 
which was Eduard Schenk. Eduard Schenk um, is probably not as known. He is a pupil of uh, Paul Hoffmann. Um, and he was also very much interested in, in reflexes, electrophysiology of reflexes and movement disorders. And with him, I, I, he was an excellent clinician. He, um, he showed me all the features he learned from Hustler and all these people in Freiburg in these days, uh, which, which, really, um, which really led me to better understand this uh, particular field. Interestingly, the connection between neurology and neurosurgery, functional neurosurgery, was not as strong as it seems because it's, it was just a few kilometers um, away from each other, these two departments. But, but in these days, the neurosurgeons um, were very much on their own. And they did their own job, um, particularly uh, Mundinger, with whom uh, I uh, share some friendship. Um, and later Ostertag. Ostertag was the one who, who was the, the head of the department um, in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, and with, with him I had the pleasure to attend uh, several of his surgeries. Um, but but the, the scientific connection between the, the both departments were not as strong. Okay. Um, and and therefore it, it was only it were these two persons uh, with whom I had uh, uh, relations. It was not like this that the neurologists sent their patients to the neurosurgeons. They had their own their own physicians uh, doing that. And um, by the way, Muninger was very often uh, doing surgeries in in Rome, um, so he was out um, for several days. And his co-workers did did uh, the interventions in these days. Okay. So, I guess despite the pioneering efforts that we just talked about that have had been happening worldwide, um, DBS for movement disorders had not really been established in a way it is now uh, at that time. And I think it's fair to say that you have personally contributed a lot to this establishment. Of course, with a lot of um, help from other people, but. Um, how was the early time before the large New England trials like? How did a society form maybe? How did people connect and then exchange their experience during that time, maybe 1990 to 2000, so before the big trials? Oh, that's already pretty late. I mean, uh, in effect, it, it's, it started even earlier. Um, there were, there were the, this, this saying that Benabit, um, whom I visited in these early days, um, uh, Benabit did this um, DBS um, for, for Tremor uh, in 87 sure. and that went around the movement disorder community very quickly and everybody was waiting for something that could cure all these negative effects of levodopa. That was pretty early seen, that was even, even in the late 70s it became clear that, that levodopa is not the only solution to, to the problem of Parkinson's disease. And in, in these days, um, it was, it was um, uh, really that, that everybody waited, um, that something new should happen to, to have a, a, a definite cure for, for this dyskinesias. And um, uh, then um, uh, came the, the paper of, of uh, Malong de Long and Bergman. Yeah. Uh, in 1990, 1991. So, so that was that was uh, all of a sudden. You know, everybody said, "Well, 
this may be the solution. Yeah. And um, we were only waiting that that um, uh, somebody um, and Ben Abid was certainly the person doing that first. That somebody put an electrode into the SDN. Mm. And when when that um, transpired, I mean, he, uh, Alim is not is not a very fast publisher. So we heard about his surgical success already long before um, this was this was really published, and um, and certainly um, he he showed videos on conferences, and and then it became clear that this may be the solution. Um, that was a time when when the classical um, functional neurosurgeons like Ostertag and Sturm they were still pretty reluctant to this new thing. I mean, having radio frequency lesions was still the state of the art, despite it was almost abundant in Germany due to events that we can probably discuss later. But um, there were only few departments who remained with the functional neurosurgery. And they were very reluctant to, to take the, this, this new um, electrodes on. But when the first paper came out, certainly everybody said, okay, we want to have such yeah. an electrode and put it into a patient's brain. Okay. And then, then by that, um, so what led, so for me, there's a gap from that time to maybe when the big trials, so let's name a few. So, so most of them are in the New England Journal. One is first authored by yourself about STNDBS in 2006. One about dystonia, same year by Andreas Kupsch, and, and I mean you, you've still been um, lead leading that one. And then, of course, later 2013, the early stim trial by uh, Michael Schüttbach. So, what what happened in between? So, or how did how did these trials then form? Well, that is that is an interesting story. Um, you know, um, as I said, the, the classical neurosurgeons were a little bit reluctant mm -hmm. to take over DBS. Um, they, they finally did, and um, uh, a number of colleagues and myself were really influenced by this, um, by this uh, failure of functional neurosurgery when re with regard to, to radiofrequency lesions. Mm -hmm. In Germany, it was a failure because um, you probably know that in the early 70s there were all these um, uh, publications about um, psychosurgery, yeah. which led to an article in the Spiegel, yeah. um, and that article influenced the whole field um, in Germany. And so to collapse, right? To, to collapse, yeah. yeah. Be, yeah. Because yeah. everybody said, well, this is something we should not do. This is unethical, yeah. more or less. Um, and so, at least my personal um, intention was, I, th I believe in that. Mm -hmm. But I learned from, from these events that the only chance we have is really to have a strong scientific foundation for all of this. Yeah. And then we had in the late 90s, then I went to Kiel in 95, and, um, and it was very clear, I... I, I when I presented uh, myself there, I said, I want to do DBS. There was no functional neurosurgeon in Kiel at that time. Um, but the, the surgeon, which was Maximilian Medon, he said, okay, I'm going to do it with you. Okay. Um, and um, and, and then, then it was very clear that, that I want to have this scientific foundation. 
Then we had a, a, um, a grant a proposal to the BMBF, which was in this time a pretty big proposal. And then I said, this is our chance, and, and we, we uh, submitted that proposal and got funded finally. And that was the start of, of that. Um, and, and, but the intention behind was really, let's have a, a, a solid foundations and not fall again in that trap, yeah. which is probably specific to Germany. Do, do you think that that is the reason why these large or one reason why these large trials happened in Europe and maybe not in the US or was there well, less that's, need there? yeah yeah i mean i mean that 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 is one of the reasons mm. um, but but there are other reasons as well because in these days it was very difficult to to start uh, with a new treatment in the US okay. um, and uh, we had just uh, better conditions here in Europe and um, And, you know, I mean, um, we were the first ones in Germany, that's true, but, um, but then look at France, uh, so, so they also did huge trials yeah. regarding dystonia, and they were, they were not much later than we were, so, yeah. so Paris was always um, a, a place where, where excellent, excellent DBS research yeah. was done. Um, so, so I would guess due to these efforts though we now live in a world and as young people can, um, can be happy to live in a world where, where, in which DBS for movement disorders is fairly established. How about other diseases now? Do you think similar large-scale efforts should be performed by the psychiatric world? Or are we not there yet? Or? Well, this is, um, I can only speak about Germany and we always tried to come into close connection with the, with the uh, psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. um, and and we, we asked them to, to do it together with us to, to really develop a scientific program for that. Um, but um, again, I mean, this is the same problem that we discussed before. Don't touch the brain with neurosurgical approaches for functional neurosurgery. Um, that was considered always um, something which is evil, uh, which, which probably bears too many ethical problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so it was very difficult to establish that, even in Kiel. Um, the psychiatrist with whom I was working was very reluctant to, to do this. Although, personally, I very much believe that there must be a way to improve depression, and that's for sure the, the largest disease in the field, um, and, and where really um, major studies should be done. We are, it's not as easy as we are sure. as we have it in in movement disorders where we know much more about the brain so so they are in a in a in a worse condition but but nevertheless I mean there are good hypotheses on the table and I really hope that this will be the next great breakthrough when it comes to DBS yeah great you've been president of the international movement disorder society from 2011 until 2013 and of course have played a, a major role um, after that and probably before that so um, maybe particularly for the neuromodulation and dbs field what do you think like what is the role of the society or what? well i mean um, the The Movement Disorder Society has always been the place uh, where really new developments were 
suck up very very quickly um, and there were there were many of my friends um, uh, which which were active in the movement disorder society doing DBS in other countries um, the movement disorder societies was always the marketplace you yeah. know where where you met friends where you sure. where you could could start collaborations and um, <clears throat> and this society really had a major role um, probably not something that you can definitely prove. Yeah. But the Movement Disorder Society was the place where people came together um, and where they really made their collaborations, developed their ideas, and, um, and the, the outcome was basically this international community yeah. um, that is now um, uh, standing and that is working together in different ways. Super. And I mean, one of your main leads, as you've already mentioned, of course, of field of interest has always been Tremor. Um, and I think the second most cited paper that you've published is um, the initial consensus statement uh, of the Movement Disorders Society on Tremor. You also lead or led the, um, the, the study group. You still lead it, I think. Um, and of course, the revised uh, version, you've been uh, instrumental there as well. So. Why Tremor? What is so fascinating about it for you? Well, um, I, have, I have two roots. It's not only movement disorders, it's also electrophysiology. Mm -hmm. And um, when you're doing electrophysiology and you look at movement and you see this awkward movement tremor, movement disorder tremor, you, you always say, it is so easy to measure. It must be easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And start with the with the thing that is that is really that has the big chance to 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 come to a breakthrough. That was a mistake. Um, I learned through my career that it's much more difficult to understand uh, a, a condition like tremor um, uh, compared, for example, to akinesia and and all the the basal ganglia loops for akinesia are pretty settled. Meanwhile. Um, this is not so live for, for tremor. Um, but um, when, when you do that, and, and I did this really from the early 80s on, um, I worked on tremor, uh, it becomes your, your passion. Um, and that is still uh, like this now. Um, I still work on tremor. I still work on measuring and uh, doing analysis, mathematical analysis of tremor. Um, I like to, I think, I think what, what we really need in, in movement disorders is to keep the, the connection with electrophysiology. This is so important. It is, I mean, the function of the brain is best reflected in, in, um, in electrophysiology. Certainly, your field imaging is is equally important and has grown so dramatically. I, I, I totally agree with you. We, in fMRI we see the very slow fluctuations. Yeah, that, so that's, uh, certainly you see something from tremor. Um, you see a lot from tremor and many people have proven, uh, I mean David Brooks and, and Eidelberg and, 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 and many, many really big uh, uh, imagers have, have really um, moved the, the field forward. Um, but um, electro EEG and, and EMG is still something where we can learn a lot from yeah. and we need to keep that relation um, 
and and basically this this relation is is for me still up till until now is is of great interest. Great. Speaking of technology, uh, I I you. I know and you. I think you've told me and I've, I've, I, you see it in your life's work that you've always been really interested in new technology and um, the further development of maybe the interface between medical technology and clinical practice, which I also find the most fascinating thing about the brain simulation. So um, also today I think you hold a guest professorship in Zurich where you are working with MR-guided focused ultrasound. So. How do you think, how does technology shape our field, in, or ha how has it shaped our field, and what were the major technological breakthroughs? Well, um, I'm not sure that it's technology that's fascinating okay. me most. Okay. Um, what fascinates me is success, <laughs> therapeutic yeah. success. Yeah. And um, this was like this for botulinum toxin, I mean, that was was for many years I was doing a lot of uh, Botox treatment um, that was for DBS and now we have the new kid on the block and that's um, focused ultrasound and um, I fortunately after I retired in 2016 I had a follower uh, which was Daniela Berg which is Daniela Berg and she's very much interested also in, in therapeutic success and I'm very happy that she managed to to have now a focused ultrasound also in Kiel. Um, because I think, I think this is back to the roots, it's, it's back to, to functional neurosurgery in a new way. Um, we do have some testing possibility for what we do by heating the, the tissue um, and looking at the functional consequences of that. But, but personally, I, I think for tremor, it's, it's really it opens a new field. It opens a field to all these patients which are currently untreated, yeah. tremor patients which are untreated and which, which really suffer a lot, um, and uh, that who cannot be treated with DBS because that's a, that's a full-blown full surgery. And the other thing is a two, a, for the patient in the MRI, it's a two-hour thing. Yeah. Um, and that's That's, they go home afterwards. Direct, yeah, and, yeah, and they they can go home the next day or mm. the day after. Um, so so this is really something very different, and certainly I mean um, we will see what the future brings. Um, we will certainly the we have the first uh, trial now for for Parkinson's disease with a with an STN lesion. Um, this is still very preliminary, and we. Most of the work remains to be done, but but I think um, that this will really increase our possibilities to treat our patients in a way that that is equally dramatic, like DBS is. Great. Um, and and therefore I think I think it's a it's a, it's a big success and it's a big it it promises big progress in the field. If, if you were a PD patient, would you do DBS or? Well, I mean that that depends on, on the situation. On the yeah. Yeah. Currently, I would say um, a DBS patient that is not uh, severely demented um, can have a much longer and much more profound improvement by DBS. Um, but a tremor, an elderly tremor patient with Parkinson's disease, 
Um, why not um, improving his tremor? Then you don't need as much uh, drugs and it may be the right solution for him. So um, th that depends on the, on the particular patient. Currently, um, focused ultrasound is really for, um, for tremor mm -hmm. and everything else is investigation. Okay. And, and um, if DBS, would you, would you prefer awake or sleep DBS? Well, here I'm very old-fashioned. Um, yeah. I mean, seeing the result of uh, stimulation and recording um, gives me confidence that I'm doing the right thing. Um, I know that particular neurosurgeons are very much in favor of, of using imaging. Um, and, um, you, you know, I mean, for you it may be, it may be different because no, I would your, do the same. I would your hammer is the MRI and, and the imaging and yeah. my hammer is, is really, is really the clinical, the yeah. clinical uh, approach. And, and, um, and therefore I, I, um, I would not be in favor of doing a sleep surgery. Yeah, me, me too. I agree. So, um, maybe to, to already wrap up, um, would you, would you maybe like to share with us a true milestone or scientific success or maybe a eureka moment or big surprise? I'm sure there, there have been many, but some anecdote of your... Well, I mean, we talked about all of this um, uh, during, during our conversation now. Uh, my, my first real breakthrough was really seeing uh, a blepharospasm patient coming in and giving him uh, two shots of, of botulinum toxin. And after, I mean, in these early days, we, the patients were hospitalized and And I saw him the next day um, and he looked already a little bit better and after three days he went out with open eyes, um, which he couldn't do before. Um, so that was really a, a, a big breakthrough. The second breakthrough was certainly um, DBS. Um, seeing DBS in a, uh, in a Parkinson patient uh, is, is something that, that you can't believe. Yeah. If you shut off the stimulator and turn it on again, I mean, this is just something uh, that's unbelievable. Um, and the same thing uh, happens also in um, with with FUS. I mean, that's that's a similarly um, uh, really dramatic um, change of the patient's condition. Um, but there were many other things. I mean, seeing in my career. Um, uh, thrombectomies and the success of thrombectomies in patients whom you know when you're an experienced uh, clinician and have seen a lot of stroke patients when a patient comes in and you see the imaging result and you see a complete block of them of the media you know this patient will go out in a wheelchair at yeah. best um, and and that's it and and seeing these patients and after thrombectomy they went out on their feet without almost any really, really uh, problem. I think that's, that's the kind of Agreed. success that we yeah. need in urology. Or, uh, I mean, um, uh, uh, auto-antibody diseases. Um, there are so many, so many aspects in our interesting uh, discipline yeah. that have changed completely during my uh, time as an active neurologist. Yeah. We have talked a lot about the successes. 
was there also an episode where you thought something went wrong or that was a complete waste of my time? I mean, I'm sure that, that is much more difficult. <laughs> That's much more difficult. There were many of these. There were many of these uh, instances where where you really, you know, I mean, uh, where you really thought um, that was really um, uh, uh, the contrary of a success. Um, but but there's nothing which is which is um, which comes to my mind immediately. Um, and um, I mean, you know, the whole scientific work, um, you, you certainly know these evenings when you worked all day long and, and at the end, in the evening at nine o'clock, you recognize, well, it, this was the wrong way. Yes. And um, that, then you do it again and it was and the second time. again way. and yeah. the second time and, yeah. <laughs> and, and so on. So, so, so this, is, this is always... But, but over time, you you get accustomed to yeah. that feeling, and, and you 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 consider it part of of your uh, of your professional life. Yeah, I guess you have to get accustomed to that in science. Yeah, yeah. probably not so much in medicine, but uh, yeah, in, in science. Yeah, I agree. And this this makes these big successes even more uh, outstanding. True. Yeah, that's true. That you go through many valleys to come to the hill. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good thing. So, is there um, a message you, a message you would like to share with a young generation of scientists and doctors in the field of DBS? What is crucial for us younger people to know or not to forget? And then maybe also, where will our field head? Two questions. So, well, um, I think I think there are there are content aspects um, personally. I think um, that um, the next big breakthrough uh, regarding DBS will not be mainly movement disorders. Mm -hmm. It may be depression. Yeah. It may be um, it may be um, Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, it may be you know other diseases that at least have a strong network component. Um, uh, that could be influenced by smart DBS devices. Certainly there are very many aspects in DBS that can improve the life of our patients and technology plays a major role here and will really help us to, to improve that very much. But um, uh, probably the, the big breakthroughs will, will cover other diseases. The, the second aspect that I learned from my career is um, that there's one thing in neurology, movement disorders, and very generally in science, is to, to have collaborations. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm proud to say that, that I have had, through my life, collaborations with very many people. You are one of the most recent examples. I mean, I'm proud that I um, learned from you about um, DBS LEAD and about all the developments in the field because, because um, it is the collaboration that is not only bringing science forward, it's also making all this fun that we have in our field. Um, and, and therefore, uh, you know, I, I 
sometimes when I talk to young people, they are shy to approach other people. They are uh, some are even thinking that they um, could that they that could worsen their chances for for moving forward if they share their knowledge with others. I think the contrary is the case. You learn from others and you give your knowledge to others and that makes that makes the progress so big and that on the other hand also um, uh, makes a lot of fun. I think that that is the important thing. You have to know what you want to to study. Yeah. But once you know that and once you're sure that this is your way, then you should really seek for collaborators. Great. That sounds great. Maybe maybe a very last question uh, to wrap up. So um, how did your professional but also maybe private life, if you want to talk about it, change after retirement? Did Is it more fun now or... Well, um, <laughs> I would say it's much more fun. Yeah, okay. um, just because I don't have the administration. Sure. The administration in a German university hospital becomes more and more boring uh, mm -hmm. because of the, of the cutting down of resources. I'm not speaking about funding. Yeah. Funding is still something, I mean, you know, if, if you don't get um, something funded, then you have to ask yourself, what did I wrong? But, but in the hospital, they, they are really, that, that is, is more and more privatized. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the patient that is that is first line. It's it's very often the money that yeah. that uh, um, makes decisions about uh, very important decisions about uh, the way how we practice medicine and so on. And um, and giving that to young and talented and um, and even better people was for me something which I did with great pleasure um, and certainly I'm always open to help um, uh, but but having young and energetic people in doing that and defending good medicine against the money um, is probably um, is probably yeah something which I, I very much like and I, I very much agree that this should be done and it's like this in the German system that you usually cannot um, continue then working scientifically. I have the privilege to have a senior professor position and I have um, Daniela Berg, my follower, who really um, supports me in every respect and Great. allows me to, to, to do all the things as before. So, in essence, my scientific activity has grown instead Great. of of decreasing and you can you can do just the fun part <laughs> yeah just the fun part <laughs> super i well, can go to the lab and well I can served, do, i think yeah yeah great thank you so much um Günther, for for this interview thank you andreas it was a great pleasure to speak to you